sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. Hello and welcome to a Tuesday live right here on the morning after on Sports Grid, Sirius XM, Channel 159. It's the home for Sports Grid Radio on Sirius XM, all across the Sports Grid Network as well. I am Ben Stevens. Thank you for joining us here on this Tuesday, week number 13 of the NFL season now in the books. Just five weeks remaining of this NFL regular season, just over a month left of play. We need to figure out that playoff hunt in the National Football League. We'll look at the changes at the top of both of the conference markets and some moving pieces here down the home stretch of this NFL season. Time to check in on the NBA as well. It's the final Ben's top 10 for college football of this year. Our final rankings revealed as we get ready for the college football playoff. Tons of that and more on this show. We check in from San Diego, the Major League Baseball winter meetings. The hot stove is certainly hot. And of course, we continue our coverage live right here across the Spiz Grizz Network for the 2022 World Cup. All that and more in store. I'm a poet. I didn't even know it. My rhymes really show it as we bring you up until 11 a.m. Eastern time. Let's start with week number 13 of the NFL season coming to a conclusion last night in Tampa Bay. Monday Night Football, an NFC South showdown where somebody's got to win this division between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the New Orleans Saints. And the Bucs entered last night in first place. With a win, they could really solidify their stronghold over the NFC South. But for about three and a half quarters, 57 of the 60 minutes of regulation, it seemed like Tampa Bay was going to cough away a golden opportunity at home and the Saints would be able to pull off the upset. And then Tom Brady does what Tom Brady does. His 44th fourth quarter comeback down late in that football game as the Buccaneers rally for a 17-16 victory. With just three and a half minutes left, Tampa was down 16-3. And then Tom Brady orchestrates two straight touchdown drives and brings the Buccaneers back for a 17-16 victory. So his 44th fourth quarter comeback in his NFL career tied for the most all-time in the National Football League in its history alongside Peyton Manning. It's just the second time in Tom's career, though, now in its 23rd year, that he has been down by 13 or more points in that fourth and final quarter and led a comeback. The first time, you might ask? Yes, that would be the 28-3 Super Bowl against the Atlanta Falcons. Something about being down by nearly two touchdowns against the NFC South late in the fourth quarter that Tom Brady finds inspirational and we told you Tampa is going to throw the football more than anybody else in the National Football League 66.4 percent of their plays through the air that number went up last night Tom Brady's passing attempts prop entering yesterday was 40 and a half he finishes with 54 36 of 54 for 281 yards two touchdowns and an interception Chris Godwin 63 yards Mike Evans 59 yards, both of those wide receivers going under the receiving yards props for Monday night football. On the other side for the New Orleans Saints, Andy Dalton was heavily favored to throw an interception. He did not last night. A rather efficient game for Andy Dalton, 20 of 28, 
229 yards in a touchdown. Alvin Kamara, 12 carries, 26 yards on the ground, and not really active in the receiving game yesterday. Just two grabs for 11 yards, well under that combo prop, the total yards from the line of scrimmage. But Chris Olave continues his strong rookie season. Four grabs, 65 yards over his receiving yards prop. A welcome to our Sports Grid Radio audience here. The opening hour of a Tuesday Live on the morning after on Sports Grid. Sirius XM, Channel 159. All of our terrestrial radio affiliates now in the fold as well. And I am Ben Stevens. Tampa Bay comes back. Down 16-3 to with just about three and a half minutes left in the fourth and final quarter last night. And Tom Brady orchestrates another dramatic comeback. The 44th fourth quarter comeback in his illustrious NFL career for the victory however Tampa was a three-point favorite last night they do not cover that number the Bucs have been favored in every game this year three eight and one against the spread and the Buccaneers have covered just once in their last seven games for New Orleans it's a very disappointing season a talented roster with a new head coach for sure Sean Payton no longer of course the head man in the Big Easy but Dennis Allen was his defensive coordinator for six consecutive seasons so a little bit of consistency in the coaching ranks and now New Orleans is just four and nine this Saints team is struggling all season long when you look at those divisional standings and where things stack up in the odds market at the moment Tampa Bay solidifies again that top spot in the NFC South minus 700 for the Buccaneers to win the division a one and a half game lead over the Atlanta Falcons at this moment and the thing that correlates here to the NFC South is if you win a division you host a playoff game come January it's crazy to think that the Buccaneers with an even 500 six and six record could host a playoff game come January but that might be the optimism for Tampa Bay the fifth best price to win the NFC right now at plus 750 the preseason favorites with a plus 340 number and that's the idea for Tampa Bay at this moment that it's pretty abysmal watching it on the football field right now I don't think you can watch Monday Night Football and think to yourself oh Tom Brady has these Buccaneers trending in a positive direction yes they came back for a dramatic victory to maybe save their season but when Tom gets to the playoffs you would have to favor that experience some big changes in the NFC South and around the NFC and in the AFC as we look at the shifting title markets up next live right here in the morning after sportsgrid.com betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24 7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering real-time odds predictive betting models expert picks and more want the edge then get on the grid sportsgrid.com After week 13 of this NFL regular season, tons of changes at the top of both conference championship markets for us to break down live right here on a Tuesday morning on TMA. Joining us on this Tuesday, as always, in the opening hour, this smile on my face is because all K-dubs Kevin Walsh is here as well. One of the co-hosts of the early line each and every weekday morning. One of the co-hosts of the money line where you will get the best analysis in the biz each and every weekday afternoon on Sports Grid Radio. Kevin Walsh is here with us on this Tuesday on the morning after. Okay, Dubs, hello and welcome to the show. 
Thanks for having me, man. Excited, as always, to be alongside someone that puts the work in, and uh, we get to get after it here on these Tuesdays. Certainly so. The research is sound. We bring you the best information we can find. And, Kev, like we mentioned, changes at the top of the NFC title market because of the season-ending injury to Jimmy Garoppolo, the quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers. But last night on Monday, we saw an NFC South showdown. A little bit of news from the NFC South that might directly impact that team from the NFC West in San Francisco. The Carolina Panthers have waived Baker Mayfield. He goes on to the waiver wire. If he clears the waiver wire by 4 p.m. Eastern today, he becomes a free agent for anybody in the National Football League to sign. So, Kevin, we talk about Baker Mayfield, the former now Carolina Panthers quarterback, and correlate that to San Francisco. With the Niners losing Jimmy Garoppolo for the rest of this season, should Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch, and the Niners make a run at Baker? So this feels like one of the most obvious yeses you could imagine. Brock Purdy, I think, would be the 10th best quarterback in the AFC East. And the Niners want to make a Super Bowl run with him. Yeah, I know. Sit out there. Go through all the numbers in your head. You let me know where you land Brock Purdy on that list. I've done the work. I think he's the 10th best in the AFC East. They want Brock Purdy. Hold on, man. Do you have to be mouthing the names to yourself like that? I mean, just start typing them out. Don't, don't. I can't watch you. Mike White to yourself, man. That's that's tough to make it through. That's good stuff out of you. You don't break me all that often. That just got me real good. That's a shame. I I pride myself on holding it together. (laughs) Nevertheless, they want Brock Purdy to compete with Hurts and Dak when this team would start Gardner Minshew or Cooper Rush if given the opportunity. I can't believe that Kyle Shanahan has said that he thinks they're good right now with where they are and are not interested actually in seemingly bringing Baker Mayfield into their roster. When you look right now, Kev, and you evaluate the San Francisco 49ers, you see those odds. So the heavy favorite to win the NFC West, despite a four-game win streak now, their odds have moved back. Excuse me, a five-game win streak now. Their odds have moved back to win the conference. It was plus 260 entering week 13. The conclusion of it, almost doubling in price, plus 500, the third-best price in the NFC title market, and the sixth-best number to win Super Bowl 57 at 12-1. to Let's assume it's Brock Purdy here for the home stretch of this regular season. And maybe we take what Kyle Shanahan is saying with a grain of salt, but... Maybe it's not that much of a drop-off from the quarterback production, just given how much talent they have around Brock Purdy in San Francisco. How do you evaluate the Niners over the final five weeks of this NFL regular season? So they have one of the five best defenses in football. Some believe the very best. Let's call it top five. We'll leave arguments then completely out of the equation. This game upcoming against Tampa Bay, since we all just watched Monday Night Football, feels like a game where Brock Purdy, quite frankly, could take the week off and Kyle Shanahan could go live out a dream of playing quarterback if he's interested, and they'd be able to come away with a victory. They're going to take a trip to Seattle, and that's a really important game. The Seattle stuff, not that people are still saying this, but this is no fluke, right, for at least the rest of the year. 
Geno is legitimately good. Their wide receivers are fantastic. Positive injury news around Kenneth Walker. And one of the traditions of the year is kind of Pete Carroll does find a way to round his defenses into shape. And I feel like that's, for the most part, going to happen for that football team. But then the following three games are also light for, for San Fran. The Niners, I don't think, are in trouble of missing the playoffs, Ben. But that's not the bar for the San Francisco 49ers. The, the bar, while Garoppolo was healthy, was win a Super Bowl. The only reason yep. that they weren't booked as the favorites in the NFC is because the Eagles have one loss on the year. And honestly, they might have jumped the birds with that victory over the Miami Dolphins because of how much everybody's loving this Niners team, despite the Eagles going out there and dominating the Tennessee Titans. It's, it's a spot where they're making the playoffs, but how are we buying in long-term for all the Jimmy Garoppolo slander that exists Kyle Shanahan's 20 games under 500 when he doesn't have Jimmy G. It's a really good point. If you are a detractor of Jimmy Garoppolo and you want to talk about strictly on-field production in Kyle Shanahan's offense, I can hear you. The ceiling for Trey Lance, that optimism entering this 2022 campaign was that he could bring all those tools with him in a Shanahan offense to a different level than what Jimmy Garoppolo can do on the field, Mm -hmm. strictly on football ability. But the experience factor that Jimmy G has, having led the Niners to two of the last three NFC Championship games and a Super Bowl appearance in Super Bowl 54, that is hard to discredit. So maybe there is a sliver of hope with Brock Purdy that the actual on-field production of strictly playing the quarterback position, using Kyle Shanahan smarts, and getting the football to the tons of playmakers San Francisco has offensively is not that big of a dip here in the immediate next couple of weeks. But once you get to that brink, like Kevin mentioned, the goal for San Francisco of making a deep postseason run, that's where there's a huge drop-off in my mind between Jimmy Garoppolo, even at the worst of what he can do on a football field, and the best of Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant at this point. All right, Kev, now to the AFC title market. The Buffalo Bills, it was short-lived for Buffalo not to be the favorite in the AFC Championship. They now are, once again, at plus 185. They have the number one spot if the season were to end today in the AFC playoff picture as well. Buffalo the favorite once more, Kevin Walsh. How do you feel about that? I think it's far from surprising and largely earned. So, again, I know what everyone thinks I'm going to say about the Buffalo Bills. Pull the tapes, PFT, just two weeks ago, Buffalo to be the number one seed was a plus price, and I said that's a great piece of business because all they needed was one Kansas City Chief loss, and they'd be right back to where everybody had expected them to go. The one thing is Buffalo still has a more difficult schedule remaining than the Kansas City Chiefs. I think the Chiefs are going to lay a touch the rest of the way. I think they're going to lay a seven or better the rest of the way. The Bills this week are laying nine and a half, but the Jets are certainly no slouch. They might even lay a touchdown to Miami. I don't know if they will, but still not a rollover. And, of course, that trip to Cincinnati still awaits. Both teams are going to be favored in every remaining game and have an opportunity to run the table. The thing is, I think Buffalo is more likely to lose a game than the Kansas City Chiefs. I think we've seen enough to say, Ben, whoever has the one seed should be the favorite in this conference. Right now, that's Buffalo. That's fine by me. 
you can see the odds right there for the Buffalo Bills to be the AFC's number one overall seed into minus money as well at minus 120. But keep an eye on both of those markets, the AFC title market and the AFC number one seed. One is based on your regular season record, the other based on how you perform in postseason action. That number one seed and who has home field advantage throughout the playoffs is going to be incredibly important. The Buffalo Bills, like mm -hmm. Kevin mentioned, at home in Buffalo this weekend, hosting a divisional foe in the New York Jets. It was Gang Green that pulled off the upset in MetLife 20-17 to a few weeks back as a 10-and-a-half-point underdog. The Bills just 1-2 and two straight up and against the spread as a divisional opponent this year. We go to the NBA up next, live right here on The Morning App. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Around the association, we go on this Tuesday with Kevin Walsh live right here on the morning after. If it is a Tuesday, it is hangy. And if Kevin is here, we get his thoughts big picture on what we have seen in the first quarter of this NBA season. It is time for Buy or Sell. So, Kevin, it was a big football weekend. All across the board. Conference championship weekend in college football. The NFL, of course, each and every Sunday. Even football with the 2022 World Cup. So some of you sports fans out there might have missed this story. A little bit of an interesting development, if you will, in Atlanta. That Trey Young has since spoken about, but it happened for Friday evening's game for the Hawks. As Sham Sharania of The Athletic is reporting, and of FanDuel TV, by the way, quote, Young skipped shoot-around on Friday to focus on getting treatment for his shoulder soreness. He would then decide closer to the game time whether or not he would be able to play. This apparently was not approved by Nate McMillan, the head coach in Atlanta, and he gave Young two options, come off the bench or don't attend the game at all. Young wound up choosing the latter. So, Kev, let's take this story forward there was optimism for Atlanta mm -hmm. and a great strong start to this season with Trey Young in the backcourt alongside the newly acquired this offseason DeJounte Murray here are the stats for Trey Young this year pretty sensational a near double double averaging over 27 points per game nearly 10 assists per game and shooting nearly 30 percent from three which is actually a little bit below his career average DeJounte Murray 21 points per game six and a half assists he's shooting 44 percent from three. Kev, you see that question there at the bottom. I don't think mm. it's realistic for Trey Young to be traded by the Atlanta Hawks by any means, but there have been some further reports that people in Atlanta's front office, the brass, hope Trey Young can turn around this attitude that he has maybe displayed in certain forms or fashions in this NBA season. So, what do you make of this situation with Trey Young, Nate McMillan, and the Atlanta Hawks at the moment? It's a bit complex, isn't it? The comparison, though, that comes to mind a little bit is Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray gave it a whole ton of money by the Arizona Cardinals. Though the Arizona Cardinals dragged his name through the mud before they gave him that money. And then they gave him the money, and then they had to do a whole bunch of PR work again because of what they slapped in the contract. And we're still dealing with issues about Kyler Murray's attitude 
in Arizona. The difference, though, is this is the NBA. And the NBA works differently. I know a lot of you out there watching and listening hate this. Deal with it. It's a player's league. It's going to be that way probably forever. I know some of you. That's why I don't watch. It's too bad. But it's why people show up to watch the Atlanta Hawks for Trey Young. So if Nate McMillan has decided to hand Trey Young an ultimatum, your $50 million a year near guy of you either come off of the bench or hit the bricks, and Trey Young's going to hit the bricks. And sooner or later, Nate McMillan's going to hit the bricks. Because that's how this works. This is not a team that's right now sitting underneath 500. This is actually, they're, they're having a better season than the Golden State Warriors, than the Philadelphia 76ers, right? So this isn't a team in complete and utter disarray. If anything, hey, maybe a little optimism here. So they have a team meeting once a week because everybody hates one another and they're still winning basketball games. Maybe they can turn this around. I'll say this. No, they should not sell Trey Young. I also don't think they need to run to fire a Nate McMillan because I think he's a good coach. However, this can go the other way because, again, it's a player's league. Trey Young's comments, I'm sure you saw the press conference, Ben, where the rep- yeah. one reporter was clearly going to make a point and ask Trey Young nonstop and trying to paint Trey Young in a light that he doesn't care about the team, right? And Trey kept saying, it's a private matter, and it's a shame any of that was made public. Listen, Sham Sharani wasn't sitting in between Nate McMillan and Trey Young when this all played out. Somebody told Shams this. That's how sources works. And pretty clearly, it didn't come from the Trey Young camp. And that can be infuriating for a player. And if you think an NBA player cares about how many years are left on their deal before they bang the trade request button, ask Kevin Durant if he actually cared. I know it didn't work his way, but the Hawks do not need to play this game with their franchise superstar while they are, by the way, an above 500 basketball team. 13 and 11 this year, although they have lost four of their last six. And my favorite phenomenon on the Atlanta Hawks continues into this 2022-23 NBA season from where it stood last year. Atlanta had 39 regular season losses. They get out of the Eastern Conference play-in tournament and into the Eastern Conference playoffs. But in those 39 regular season losses last year, Kevin Walsh, the Hawks did not cover in any of those losses, and I believe 17 of them as an underdog. The same has carried over this year. 11 losses, four of them as an underdog, and Atlanta has failed to cover in any loss so far this year. They did lose against Oklahoma City last night at home as a a six-and-a-half-point favorite. Now we go to the best team in the NBA with the current best player, at least according to the odds. The Boston Celtics, a victory last night, up in the Great White North against Toronto, 116-110. Jason Tatum, 31 points, 12 rebounds. Jason Tatum continues his tear to begin this season. There you see the stats. And because of it, Kevin Walsh, Jason Tatum is the lone NBA MVP favorite, plus 280, Mm. 10 cents ahead of Giannis, 30 cents ahead of Luka. Buy or sell, Jason Tatum should be the solo favorite to win the NBA Most Valuable Player Award. Sell, sell, sell. Oh, I'm sure this is going to upset some people. This is all, though, quite frustrating. Last year, the voters told us that the most important thing wasn't your record. And that is, quite frankly, 
the only thing that would justify Jason Tatum being the favorite for the MVP. I can already hear the Celtic faith. Oh, come on. He's a guy who doesn't even watch Boston basketball. 31 and 8. This guy's unbelievable. Yeah, he's great. He's fantastic. He hasn't been the best player in the NBA or the second best player in the NBA or the third best player in the NBA or the fourth best player in the NBA. And again, that's not slander. This league is off to a phenomenal start for a lot of high, high-level guys. But Luke has been better. Steph's been better. KD's been better. Giannis has been better. And if you're honest with yourselves, Anthony Davis has been better too. That's just the truth Ooh. of it. But Jason Tatum is on a 20-5 and five basketball team. If they're going to hand this award to the best player on the best team, then I guess it's Tatum's award. But then also, we need to go back and find a way to cut the award in half, take it out of Nikola Jokic's house, and send half of it to Chris Paul and half of it to Devin Booker. But we're not going to do that. So sell this idea that Tatum should be a standalone favorite for the MVP. And while we're at it, by the way, best player on the best team or the quarterback of the best team, Stetson Bennett IV should not be a Heisman finalist, but we'll get to our college football thoughts (laughs) in just a little bit. Now we go to Kevin Walsh's favorite team in the NBA, the Los Angeles Lakers, who right now are on quite the uptick. Speaking of AD, 55 points, 17 rebounds, and a 12-point victory on the road in the nation's capital against the Wizards on Sunday night. The Lakers are a perfect 3-0 in their last three games. They are averaging more than 130 points per game, but still currently 13th in the Western Conference out of 15 teams out West. But Kevin, we focus on the glass half full here. Buy or sell, the Lakers have started to figure it out and have turned the corner. I think you have to buy it. And I'm, I'm, I would like to imagine that there's, again, plenty of folks who think, oh, that's, of course, what he was going to say. This team lost to the Indiana Pacers, and I managed to trade and fire everybody associated with the purple and gold. I, I thought the season fell apart right there in that moment because the Lakers had an easy stretch of games in November, And I thought they needed to win all of them. And they were very close to winning all of them until it fell apart in that game against the Indiana Pacers. And the reason I thought they needed to play at that level is because how the schedule is going to turn around. A Portland team that's played great basketball coming into their building and then the beginning of an East Coast trip. They dominated the Portland Trailblazers. They win in Milwaukee with Anthony Davis being the best player on the court while Giannis was having a phenomenal game in his own right. And then they go to Washington and dominate that team as well. Look, for a while it was, hey, look, they're beating up on bad teams. Now they just look really good. And here's the reason why the Lakers are a team that you I feel like we should buy into. But I, I I have hesitations like the rest of you. The idea that LeBron and AD are enough to make you a contender should be true because of what these guys should be. Specifically, though, Anthony Davis. LeBron is going yep. to give you just a coasting top 10 player in the NBA. That's just the baseline of LeBron James at this rate. While Anthony Davis is setting the world on fire, LeBron's giving you a smooth 28-8-8 eight and eight like he always has. But if Anthony Davis is able to actually keep this up, and deliver on all of the promises that his career had told us. Because that's the thing. This is not a, my God, this is not Lynn's sanity, right? 
Anthony Davis is supposed to be able to do this. And if he's able to stay healthy and keep this up, the only reason people wouldn't view the Lakers as title contenders is because they decided a month ago they weren't. 44 and 10, by the way, in that game against Milwaukee over the weekend as well. 10 straight double doubles for AD, three straight for the Lakers, eight of their last 10, and they have covered in all eight of those wins. Kevin Walsh, it is a bittersweet moment coming up here on the morning after our final Ben's top 10 of the college football season. The last set of rankings live here on TMA, up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. For one final time this year, when it comes to college football, Ben's top 10. At the conclusion of conference championship weekend, with a couple of weeks off until we get to bowl season and still over three and a half weeks until the college football playoff. Thank you for joining us on this Tuesday, live right here on the morning after. I am Ben. I am one of the hosts of college football today. He is Kevin, Kevin Walsh, one of the other Hosts of college football today as well, as well as our guy, Joe Lisi, the mastermind of the college football pigskin. So, Kev, when you are here on a Tuesday, you are also one of the hosts of the early line. This, of course, is the morning after. The early line, the morning after, we team up for Ben's top 10 unveiling in what is known as the early after. I never know if we're going to play that animation. It gets me fired up each and every time. All right. One final time, okay, Dubs, for Ben's top 10 in this college football season. Honestly, where things have settled, my top 10 doesn't look all that much different from the college football playoff committee and where their rankings stack up for one final time this year. But we can have some fun conversations along the way. We start at the bottom. We work our way up. At number 10 in the country, the Kansas State Wildcats, the champions out of the Big 12 Conference. Utah is number nine, the champions out of the Pac-12. Clemson, the champs out of the ACC for the seventh time in the last eight years. They are number eight, and I have Penn State at number seven, the only non-conference champion in this grouping of four, 10 through seven. The reason why, Kevin Walsh, I am going to take a victory lap on a warm July's night. I looked at the preseason AP top 25, and I said to myself, there's one Big Ten football team currently unranked in the preseason poll that will be a top 10 team at the end of this year, and it was the Penn State Nittany Lions, and their only two losses against Michigan and Ohio State. Penn State a 10-win football team, and on mm. to the Rose Bowl. The standard of success in Happy Valley is back for James Franklin and the Nittany Lions. So, Kev, that's why Penn State is number seven. So the Rose Bowl, a.k.a. the Ben Bowl, as it's two teams that you were absolutely in on. And, and hey, look, two teams that, uh, you know, went over their win totals. Um, USC, out of the top 10 for your rankings, is a bit difficult for me to watch. Because this is where we run into some really tricky situations. They should not be behind Clemson because Clemson won 
the atrocious, atrocious ACC. Do they really need to be behind three lost Kansas State? No. Do they really need to be behind even Penn State, who has the same number of losses? No. Heck, I'm not even sure if Utah should be in front of them, even though Utah beat them twice. The thing is, right, to make this point yeah. firstly, and then we can get back to your decision-making, nobody yeah. actually cares because it's only four teams. We care about five who got left out. This is, again, for the people who think that when they expand the playoffs, debates are going to stop. You, of course, have lost your mind and put no thought into that statement. Now that we've cleared that, please do tell me how USC yeah. found themselves outside of the top 10 teams in college football. I don't know if you saw my reaction to when you first said the word or the letters, I guess, USC. I started laughing because I go, uh-oh. I knew I forgot a team. Something didn't oh, feel right here. There was no thought process. I'm Hand up. Listen, I'll be very transparent as the poll maker here. I forgot USC. They should be here ahead of Ken Kansas State, probably even ahead of Clemson, certainly ahead of Penn State. But the reason Penn State is at number seven is because I wanted to take my victory lap, not ahead of Utah, because Utah beat them twice this yeah. year, including in the conference championship game, despite the three regular season losses. Kev, that's on me. Hand up. I just forgot the Trojans. All right. Hey, listen, we love to see um, some honesty. We hate yeah. to see a world where the committee forgot to evaluate USC heading into uh, the final set of rankings. It's on me. Uh, so yeah. Not because I, I got I started to do the calculations. I, I don't yeah. I don't think my face was up at the time, but when that list was unveiled, I, so I was, there's no way he dropped Bama. I'm like I don't think right. he would have dropped Tennessee either. It's an ugly scene. I'll, ha I'll have to call it like I see it. All right. Jesse Metzger, our wonderful graphics producer. If we can make a quick change to these rankings, <laughs> it would be Penn State 7. It would be Utah 8, USC 9, and then Clemson 10, Kansas State just on the outside. All right. That's on me. Yeah. You know, it doesn't, although we appreciate honesty, we appreciate transparency behind this process if Boo Corrigan were to get up on national TV and say hey we forgot that team we would not feel any better that's on me it does question the, the legitimacy of this poll but we'll keep it going to six and five because Kev I wanted to make this point just to be a little bit tangy here on this Tuesday on TMA Alabama is number six Tennessee is number five why because Tennessee beat Alabama and yes I know the Volunteers have two worse losses than anything Bama has this year. Bama's two losses on the final play of both of those contests by a combined four points. But one of the losses was on the road as an eight-and-a-half-point favorite in Rocky Top against Tennessee. If you win the football game, it's a different conversation wins are always more valuable than losses if we want to compare losses when there is a head-to-head -head victory between two common opponents between two actual sides that team will get the nod although I do not disagree with the college football playoff selection committee having Alabama ahead of Tennessee for evaluation purposes because no Hendon Hooker who by the way should be here in New York City this Saturday as a Heisman finalist okay Kev go ahead 
So here's the thing on Alabama. Again, flipping them and Tennessee, by the way, doing that in a week where neither played, tremendous action, and we we love to see that opportunity uh, taken there by you. The legitimacy of this poll, tough. (laughs) No, listen, hey, I think it's one of your strongest weeks yet. I think it's one of your strongest weeks yet. Here's my thing with Alabama, right? Because obviously they were the team sat there on Sunday wondering, hoping, trying not to lose faith. And what we've heard from a lot of people, those that thought Bama should get in, is, look, if you're putting in the four best teams, how are you not going to put in the Crimson Tide? And I think what's lost in, in that idea is Alabama being one of the four best teams in college football is an assumption. It is based on preconceived notions. Alabama did not show that. If you were to tell me, hey, is Alabama better than North Carolina? I would have no hesitation and tell you yes. Is Alabama better than Troy? 100%. Is Alabama better than TCU? I think. But I'm not sure. How could I be sure? Mm -hmm. Again, evaluate out. Forget the losses, which, by the way, at this point, I think are the two best things on their resume. When you hear people talk about Alabama, it's, listen, man, light loss to Tennessee, light loss to LSU. Because they certainly aren't going to brag about a one-point victory over Texas, a six-point victory over Ole Miss, a four-point win over Texas A&M. This team's resume is the reason that they didn't get in And it's not the two, it's the 10. It's the 10 wins being some of the most unimpressive Alabama performances in recent recent history. TCU losing to Kansas State, unfortunate. But it was similar to all of these Bama losses. The difference is TCU's wins were better than Alabama despite playing in the Big 12. The best win for both of those teams is against Texas on the road in Austin. TCU won by seven as a seven and a half point underdog outright. Alabama against a backup quarterback by the name of Hudson Card won by Mm. one point as a 20 and a half point favorite. Nick Saban was politicking all across the place on Saturday and credit to him. I'm not sure he was even believing in the words that he was uttering. It's like they gave him the lines for an Aflac commercial. But Nick Saban was trying to make the point that Alabama was improving throughout the year as he was highlighting the best of his team, not how they looked at their worst in their losses. And he said, we won three straight games to end out the year. Nick, you're a betting guy. You mentioned how Alabama was going to be favored in every single game against every single team in the country in a college football playoff scenario. You didn't cover in any of your three final victories. You were five, six, and one against the spread. The preconceived notion that Alabama is one of the four best teams in college football is false. Would they be favored based on preconceived power ratings? For sure. Would they win those football games? I don't necessarily think so. And I'm getting mad here for no reason because the committee got it right and all is good for the college football playoff, including that exact order in seating. But here is my final point. We rank based on deserved nature, not on who might be perceived as the best team. Because if we're just going to talk about a team being favored in a neutral site, let's set the lines and let's simulate and let's not play actual football games on the football field. All right, that is it. Kevin, one through four is the exact same as the committee. Georgia, Michigan, TCU, Mm -hmm. Ohio State, which 
gives us some time, I think, then, Kev, to take an early look at the college football playoff. The nightcap mm. on New Year's Eve. I'm getting word from my producer. Did we fix the graphic? We did. USC's there, Kevin. <laughs> look at it. Heck yeah. Great work, Jesse. Fantastic. Oh, wow. So let's screenshot that ranking of 10 and not the initial ranking of 10. USC, mm. hard to forget, but like the Alamo, we will always remember. The Trojans back into the top 10 as the number nine team in the country. All right, Kev, let's forecast a little bit of the college football playoff. The nightcap on New Year's Eve, number one Georgia, the reigning national champs against number four Ohio State. The Bulldogs a six and a half point favorite. Kev, we love looking at these betting lines. We have early line predictions for potential national championship matchups where Georgia were to face Michigan or potentially even TCU. The shortest number is this game in the Peach Bowl between Georgia and Ohio State, meaning the Buckeyes are expected, Kevin Walsh, to give the Bulldogs their toughest test of the potential crop in the college football playoff. How does Ohio State test UGA? Well, it's by being by far and away the best offense that they will have played this season. Maybe by far and away is a bit of a stretch, but I still think that this Buckeyes group has immense talent that can pressure Georgia. And I know I, I don't want to – I hate coming off like a snob, right? I, I really – I don't want to. But I've quite enjoyed the reaction of people seeing this line between Georgia and Ohio State and going, oh, man, I thought that was going to be like 10. Well, then you weren't paying any attention, basically, at all. Or you don't follow lines intensely, so it's interesting that you opted to comment on those lines. Last year, Alabama-Georgia meet in the SEC title game. The Bulldogs, a six-point favorite, lose by 17. They met the national championship game. Georgia was still the favorite. <laughs> they don't come up with the Ohio State numbers by mistake. If Ohio State beat, by the way, just to let people know, if they would have beat Michigan, this game would have been a national championship prediction line at around pick. And Ohio State still a favorite in the game, potentially against Michigan in the national title. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. All right, we round out this opening hour of a Tuesday live right here on the morning after on Sports Grid as we hear from you. Thank you for joining us on this Tuesday. Kevin Walsh, an esteemed journalist, has been here all of this opening hour. We look back one final time on Monday Night Football. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are an even 500 football team now at 6-6 six and six and hold a one-and-a-half game lead in the NFC South Division. They're a minus 700 favorite to win the NFC South, and if the trend continues, the Buccaneers are going to host a playoff game come the middle of January. But will Tampa win it? Could they win another one? That was the conversation and Fade the Public. All right, OK-dubs, a very simple question for the public. At SportsGrid TV on Twitter, will the Buccaneers win a playoff game? Yes or no? And most of the public 
looked at Tampa last night and said, this team's not very good. They might win the NFC South Division where the other three teams are now all below 500 and the Bucs the only team at even 500 and said, no, they're not a good football team. They would not win a playoff game. But there's something about Tom Brady come the postseason that you cannot overlook. Kevin Walsh, what do you say? Are you fitting the public? Uh, no, I'm not. Here's the deal. The, the biggest problem for Tampa Bay, aside from being largely useless on the offensive side of the football, is they're almost guaranteed to play the Dallas Cowboys. And, and basically the only scenario where they don't play Dallas is they somehow play the Eagles because the Eagles collapsed. So they're going to run into the second best team in the NFC, although they're going to be home in the football game. And I know that they've found magic a couple times late. That happened, though, against Green Bay, the Rams, and the Saints. It is a lot more difficult to ask them to do that against a Dallas Cowboy team that is playing some very good football. So, no, I'm not fading the public. Tom Brady has a 23-year NFL, NFL career currently going on. He has 35 playoff wins. The Dallas Cowboys have three in the last 25 years. Just something to bring up. Kev, thank you so much. Hour number two up next.